Good morning, everyone. If you haven't met me, my name is Dan, and uh, I get the privilege of preaching this morning from the Bible. And I want to first start by talking about faith, because I think we all put faith into things. Sometimes it's big things, sometimes it's small things. We put faith, uh, our faith, in the driver of the bus or the tram. We put our faith uh, in, uh, we put our faith into the friend to keep a secret. Maybe we put our faith into God. And sometimes we don't always realize where our faith is until it gets shaken. Perhaps a colleague uh, who you had faith in disappoints you or lets you down in a meeting. Maybe uh, you put your faith in your bike brakes and you end up skidding. Maybe you put brakes, uh, put brakes, put faith into your insurance policies. And what happens when they don't pay out? You know, our faith in them gets shaken. In the Western world, uh, we don't tend to live by the Arabic phrase, which is inshallah, God willing. We tend to assume that tomorrow is going to be the same as today. Of late, I think we didn't consider our vulnerability as a city, as a nation, before COVID-19 hit. And I think it's shaking us a little bit. And I don't think this is all bad, but I think we are beginning to discover that we had faith in things that perhaps it was misplaced faith. Faith in maybe our employer, Maybe we had faith in the economy. Maybe we had faith in our bank balance. And now, uh, because of what's happening, these things are under threat. And our faith is being shaken a little bit. And as our faith begins to falter, it can be a cause of anxiety and it can be a cause of worry. And I suspect some of us have found that actually we've got more financial concerns at this time than we had before. Maybe not all of us. But I know that if I asked us to think about, you know, is there an area of our finance that uh, actually we're just not completely at peace with? I think most of us would have some concern. I know that I would. I know that some of us worry more than others. But I think finance is something that actually it affects all of us. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. How does the Bible speak to our financial concerns? And this morning's passage, uh, it comes from Matthew 6. And it's an eyewitness account of a former tax collector. So you can imagine tax collectors were quite exacting. They knew what they had to do. And in his account, uh, Matthew as he's known, he arranges the eyewitness testimony of, into blocks of Jesus' activity and then his teaching. And he goes activity, teaching, activity, teaching. And one of these blocks of Jesus' teaching is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I wanted to show us a picture. Uh, this is the mount on which Jesus preached this sermon. It's in Israel. You can see the Sea of Galilee in the distance there. And it's probably a bit more of a hill, 
but you can picture yourself there listening to the words of Jesus. And we're going to look at a, a small section, 10 verses of this. And I've asked uh, Simon to read it for me. He's going to step forward. I'll step back. Over to you. Good morning, everybody. So I'm going to read a passage for us from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 24 through 34. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like, the, like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are the words of the Lord. Back to you, Dan. Great. Thank you very much. And I love these verses. And actually, the whole sermon's worth reading. And even in these verses, there's many more points that I'm going to pull out today. So I'd encourage you, uh, read them this week. You spend a couple of days or more over them. What strikes me about these verses that I hadn't considered was that first century disciples had money worries. First century disciples, they were concerned with where their food and where their clothing and how they were going to sustain their lifestyles. They didn't have any certainty around that. And so it was a concern for them too. And uh, I, I guess my encouragement for us today, if you're here, um, if you're viewing and you have financial concerns, I, I want to help us today. Or maybe you don't have them right now, but you suspect maybe you'll have them in the future. Or if you're exploring faith at the moment and you want to know more, uh, you want uh, some tools to help kind of dig into where your faith may be misplaced, I want to give us a place where we can better put it. So listen in. I'm going to talk about worry this morning. And I'm going to make four main points from the passage. The first is the command of faith. The second, the opposition to faith. The reassurance for faith. And then the choice of faith. These four points mention faith, not worry. And that's because worry comes when what we had faith in can get shaken. So the two are very much related, faith and worry. Firstly, the command of faith. I don't know if you were counting as 
Simon was reading, but three times Jesus says, do not be anxious. Or depending on the version of the Bible you're reading, it might say, do not worry. Three times Jesus says it. And to worry is to kind of contemplate the what-ifs, the negative what-ifs of life. You know, what if I catch corona? What if I lose my job? What if I fall off my bike? Although I can't imagine a Dutch person ever worrying about that. To worry is imagining tackling tomorrow's problems with today's strength. It's an imaginary activity of tackling tomorrow's problems with today's strengths. And it can form like a highway in our mind. And it can get exhausting often. What I've noticed is kids tend to worry less than adults. And this is because kids tend to put deep trust in their mum and dad. They trust that their parents care and they trust that their parents are competent to provide for them. Maybe that's a little bit of blissful ignorance, but it's a deep trust they put in. And actually, the same can be true of us. If we've got someone we can trust, someone we know who cares and is able to meet our needs, so our worries can decrease as well. And that's why the passage says that we're not to be anxious, that we're not to worry about money, but we're to trust in God. And hence, this is the command to have faith. And and it is a command. You know, Jesus says it uh, three times. And Jesus repeats himself because he wants us to really get this. This is important for us that we hear it. Do not worry. And it's a very hard commandment to keep. Harder for some than for others. But I think at some level, most of us worry about things. Yet Jesus is giving us the same challenge today that he gave to the first century disciples. And it's a challenge uh, or a call to put their faith and their trust in him. He asks us today, do you believe in me enough to trust that I'll provide for you? We don't get to believe only certain truths about Jesus. Sometimes he presents us with these uncomfortable commands. But it is one command that Jesus is fully uh, invested in helping us to live out. But let's look at why this command is so hard to keep, first of all. And this takes us to the opposition to faith. And it appeared in verse 24. It says, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. Another way of putting it was, would be, do I put my trust in God as provider, or am I putting my trust in money to meet my needs? And like faith, sometimes we don't know where our trust is until it gets shaken. The ideal scenario, if you're listening today and you're, you'd call yourself a Christ follower, then the picture I want to paint is, is that when our finances are threatened or shaken, actually there isn't much of an emotional response because we're confident in who God is. But imagine if you go to work one day and your boss says, look, I'm really sorry, we just don't have enough to pay you for this month. And instead of what, how I would react with shock and horror, thinking, how on earth am I going to pay my bills? You calmly, coolly respond to him, that's okay, 
because I've got a heavenly boss who's got my back and he'll provide for me. Another example. If the bank manager calls you up and he says, look, you know that savings account that you've been putting things into? I'm really sorry, but we've lost all the money. Again, could you respond, that's okay, because I've been saving up treasure in heaven, and actually my heavenly Father has got me. I know that when I think about these two examples, there's an emotional reaction in me. Actually, it puts a bit of fear in me, and that tells me that actually my heart is still putting a bit of trust in money and not in God. It's hypothetical, but we have emotional responses to these. And I want us to drill down a little bit further into our hearts, you know, to understand what our deepest fears or hopes about, around money are. And then we want to bring them before God. And I want to encourage us to be as specific as possible. The more specific we can be, the better we can understand ourselves, the better we can apply the gospel and we can live out our faith. So for me, I like to feel like I'm in control of my finance. That's something I've recognized as quite important to me. I want to be in control of it, and when I feel like I'm out of control of my finance, then worry can begin to appear. And one of the illustrations of many that I could give is when I first got married. Now, this won't surprise you. You know, before I got married, I had exclusive control over my money. I could spend it on what I want. When I get married, I discover I'm not the only person buying things in my household. I also discover that other people, namely my wife, had opinions on what I spent my money on. I'd never stopped to reflect on how much I used to spend on, on takeaways and food. And my wife's face when I bought some beautiful floor-standing speakers was, uh, was a sight to behold. But I also didn't know that my life was incomplete without such items like uh, mascarpone cheese or hair conditioner. And I didn't know there were quite so many cleaning products either. I thought there was bleach, and that was about all you needed, maybe some washing up liquid. But what happens is when we came together, there was some tension, some anxiety, because I'm seeing my money spent on this that I hadn't planned for. And so we had to work it out before God even within our marriage. And we had to exercise faith in that. And what I began to see is that the anxiety was caused by the, the, the lack of control. And in fact, uh, Tim Keller, he states that anxiety grows from a want to be in control. It's not just when we don't feel in control, but it's actually if we have a desire to always want to be in control, that can be a cause of anxiety too. I think the typical Amsterdamer wants to be in control of their finance for a number of reasons. I've got six I'll briefly, briefly outline, and these aren't ranked, and there may be more, but I think we want to be in control possibly because of security. You know, I just sleep better knowing I've got a savings pillow under my head. Maybe we want to be in control because we're afraid of not having enough. I just want to make sure I'm not caught short. You know, that'd be embarrassing. But also I've got a personal responsibility to look after myself. Maybe we want to be in control 
because of comfort. Actually, we just like high-quality things. We like the best things. Maybe we want to be in control because we want to be in control. The thought of not being in control is just unbearable. Maybe we want to be in control because actually we love money. The Bible calls that greed. Or maybe we want to be in control because of uh, a desire for status. Now, I think this is a little bit subtle. I don't think it's that you know, we want to be the richest person in Amsterdam. But we would like a little bit more than our neighbor, perhaps. In the case of my marriage, I, my anxiety was growing because my comfort was being threatened. I was seeing my finances redirected to things I didn't think I needed. So what is it for you? What are the things that can uh, attack your sense of control or underlie it? What's going on in your heart? Because what we find is the truth is usually that our hearts are far darker than we ever dared consider. I know that when I look in my heart, I I see things that shock me. But I want to encourage us to pause and take time to reflect on our hearts. Because then as we do, as we realize quite how dark our hearts are, actually the light that God brings, the light of his love and his forgiveness gets much brighter, gets much, much brighter. So we need to drill down to a heart level in order to effectively apply, you know, to apply the antidote to worry, which is to put our faith and our trust in God, which is what this teaching is all about that Jesus gives us. So we've looked at the command of faith, which is we need to not love money, trust God. We need to not be anxious. We've looked at the opposition to faith, which is that money can get in the way and our want for control can get in the way. I want to reassure us uh, why we can have faith. This is part three, the reassurance for faith. God has given evidence that he cares. It's as simple as that. God has given us evidence that he cares. In verse 32, it says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. And Jesus is referring to the the birds being fed and to being clothed. So God knows what we need and he really cares. Think if God, this is the point Jesus is making, if God cares so much for the birds and for the flowers, how much more will he care for us who he says are made in his image? What the Bible says is that he sent his son for us so that we can be reconciled to him. This is the ultimate provision. Verse 30, uh, it says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown Into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So he's comparing it to something so temporary and how God looks after that. How much more will he look after us? And he throws in that little phrase, O you of little faith, at the end. And what Jesus is saying is that believing in his care is an issue of faith. It's an invitation to faith. It's about relationship with him. The currency that Jesus operates in is that of faith. Uh, an author called Ravi Zacharias, he puts it this way. He says, faith in the biblical sense is substantive based on the knowledge that the one in whom that faith is placed 
has proven that he is worthy of that trust. In its essence, faith is a confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power. So that even when his power doesn't serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. The reassurance of faith we're given is that he cares, that he cares for us and that his care has motivated him to provide for us. I want to boost our faith a little bit more with two examples from the Bible and there are many, many more examples. The first is in Exodus where the Israelites are fleeing Egypt and this is a mass of about a million people and they're in the desert and they're in the desert for 40 years and after that time they're reflecting and in Deuteronomy uh, they're praying and this is what they say, Deuteronomy 2.7, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you and you have lacked nothing. They were in the desert. There was nothing and they lacked nothing. In the desert, food literally fell from the sky. It was called manna, which is translated, what is it? Which I think we'd all be saying if food was falling from the sky. They, it, the Bible also records that their clothes and their shoes never wore out. God is doing miracles for this huge group of people in the desert for 40 years. He knows, is what they say in Deuteronomy. And they lacked nothing. He cares. There was a time where Soph and I wanted to give some money. I can't remember quite what the trigger was, but we prayed and we said, God, we want to give some money to this. We saw a need and we felt like God was wanting us to help meet it. But when we looked at the bank account, when we looked in the cupboard, the cupboard was bare. And so we prayed, God, you know, what should we give? And won't you provide for us? And within about three days, the amount we felt that we should give was given to us. I can't remember how or by whom, but the two numbers were identical and we just thought, God, this is amazing. We were so encouraged by how he can provide for us. And maybe you've got stories similar to that. There's another example in the Bible where Jesus has been teaching um, and there's, the Bible records 5,000 men listening. It doesn't count the women and the children, so there were multiple of people there listening and Jesus has been teaching for a while and it's getting late and people are getting hungry and the disciples come to him excuse me and they uh, say what are we going to do we need to feed these people and Jesus performs another miracle let me read uh, the words in John 10 sorry John 6 verses 10 to 13 so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So they'd started with five loaves, two fishes, three fishes. And Jesus thanks God for them and breaks them. And somehow this one little boy's meal that they'd found in the crowd, it spreads and it multi multiplies. And Jesus does this 
amazing, amazing miracle. And at the end of it, what we see is the disciples collect all the leftovers and there's 12 baskets of bits of bread and bits of fish left over. And what I think that encourages us to believe in is a God who is generous, that actually he can be lavish. He's not so exacting that, you know, everyone had exactly what they needed. But he is a God who likes to give us more than sometimes we need. He's not a stingy God. The point is that God cares, that he cares deeply for each of us. And when do we know when someone really cares? I think when we see someone sacrifice for us at our deepest point of need. You know, maybe it's uh, a friend who buys groceries when we've been quarantined because we can't get out to do it. And so someone sacrifices their time and they go and they help us and they serve us. You know, that's one of the ways we'd know that someone cares. And this is what Jesus does for us. This is the way God shows his ultimate care through Jesus who sacrifices himself. When we were in ultimate need, when we uh, couldn't save ourselves, we can reach out to Jesus and we can ask to him for help. And he's there, he's ready, and he's waiting for us. God really does care for you, not just enough care to clothe you and feed you today, but he cares enough to send his son so we can have a relationship with him. And our present and our future are covered too. God's care isn't limited. I think we can sometimes see God a little bit like a, a, a battery, like our phone battery. And every time we use it, we see the numbers going down. But it's more like the source when we plug in. Or if, we, if I had a bottle of water, um, we can see God a bit like that. That Every time we take a sip, we can feel like his power is diluting a little bit, that it's disappearing. It's more like God is a lake of water where we can take out bottle after bottle or bathtub out of bathtub and we never see it go down. God's power is limited by nothing. It doesn't mean that when he gives to us, he wants to give less next time. This is the reassurance of faith that God sees, that God knows, that God cares for each of us. And there's other things that uh, I'd love to talk about, but I haven't got time today because the Bible talks lots about how we should steward our money. And I'd just encourage us, maybe in community groups or, or with other friends, talk about this. Because it, it's helpful for us to talk about our finances. These are questions we all have. We need to work this out. It's a good thing to do in community. The other thing I'm aware of is Maybe this hasn't worked for us in the past. Maybe there's hurts and disappointments where we feel like God has let us down. And my encouragement would be, even as I'm speaking now, you know, tell God about it. Tell him about it. Just uh, open your heart to him. Be real with him about how you felt disappointed by him. But then try and get his perspective on things. Try and understand perhaps what God was doing in that situation. Because God's always doing something and it's always for our good and our benefit. And then as I encourage us towards faith, begin to mix faith in again. Hold afresh of the truth that he cares and affirm your trust in him.
So we're commanded to faith. We know there's oppositions to it. There's a reassurance for it because the evidence is all around us with the birds, with the leaves, with manna falling from heaven, with bread being multiplied. But we still have daily choices to make. And this is the choice of faith. Do we choose money or God? Verse 24 said, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't please both. If you please one, then you're not pleasing the other. If you please the other, you're not pleasing the first one. And actually, we can get anxious when we're trying to put our trust in both places. And often, I think we can find ourselves either trying to mix or moving between the two, and and that's an uncomfortable and a dangerous place to be in. This is another hypothetical example. But if uh, if you happen to have a girlfriend and a wife, you couldn't please both. If you please one, then you're disappointing the other one. It's a lose-lose situation. I do not recommend it. Hypothetical, never tried it. Looks bad. But with this, the choice of faith, we're constantly dealing with competing mindsets. You know, will I trust that God will provide or am I going to trust that I can provide for myself, that I'm going to put my trust in money, I'm going to make a plan? You know, I think the typical Amsterdamer, um, and I include myself, can sometimes believe we need to look after ourselves. You know, you might even pray for God uh, to give you what you want. It might not actually be putting your trust in him, but it's kind of a a covering your bases. You know, let me pray and and see if there is a God out there. Let me see if prayer might work, or uh, perhaps it's kind of taking a gamble. You know, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But you haven't actually put your faith or your trust in him. God's calling us to firstly put our faith in him. And the choice is the same in every situation, whether it's a big one or a small one, but we make these choices daily. It's a choice we make in our heart to believe and put our faith in God's provision or at our peril, I'd say, we put it in our own ability to make money. But it's not just about the physical provision. It's about the spiritual provision and hunger too. Because in that story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, he goes on to say that he is the bread of life. In John 6.32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, the manna, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. The disciples listening, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And Jesus is asking us today if we're spiritually hungry. He longs to satisfy our hunger. He longs to satisfy our thirst. He longs to meet our our material needs. 
but we first put our trust in him. And this is the choice. We can choose to put our trust in money and this season's gonna be like any other or we can choose to put our trust in God to seek first his kingdom and see everything else we need added to us. And it's kind of a risky choice. But actually, it's not a 50-50 risk. Actually, it's heavily weighted. It's putting your faith into the most dependable one, the one who keeps on feeding the birds of the air, the one who keeps on clothing the lilies of the fields. Another quote from Ravi Zacharias, he says that God has put enough into this world to make faith in him most reasonable, but he's left enough out to make it impossible to live by reason alone. So my encouragement is for each one of us to put our faith, our trust in God, to let him take away our worries. And what would a life of no worries look like? I think it would look like us uh, living in faith and not in fear. That when we talk about money, it wouldn't be with worries. When we uh, talk to our spouse or our kids about money, it wouldn't be about the lack or the threat that we might not have enough, but it would be with faith that God is our provider, that he's got our back. It would look like uh, we had a deeper contentment, not concern. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And I think ultimately, it would look like uh, us having a savior and not necessarily having all the solutions. We don't have all the answers now but we have a person we can trust in day by day by day. And this is Jesus, the one who literally put his life on the line for us, is inviting each one of us to put our faith in him so our worries can be lifted. I want to pray for us now. Yeah, Jesus, we're so grateful for your provision, for your uh, provision of material things, but your provision of the spiritual help and sacrifice that we needed. And I pray that this would be a week where our faith in you grows as we see uh, some of the things that we've put our faith in being shaken around us, some of the things we never expected to be shaken. We choose to put our faith and our trust in you today. And I pray if there are those who are uh, exploring uh, some of the teachings of Jesus, I pray that as they reach out to you, as they perhaps ask, you know, if you're real Jesus, won't you show me that? I pray that you would show them. Thank you that the risk of us trusting in you isn't 50-50, that actually the risk of us trusting in you is, is kind of 99 to one. That we can put our trust in the everlasting, all-powerful God who cares for us, who's been caring for us, who provided his son for us and who will keep on caring for us. Father God, we thank you for your care today. Amen.